That was Kimberly Moon by James Blundell. When Fiona Harper is not pounding the pavement in another marathon, she's a yachty. And one of her first sailing expeditions was as an 18-year-old around the Kimberley. She's just been back there, but on a much more luxurious vessel, the True North 2, a 35-metre-long expedition vessel with about 20 passengers and 15 crew, plus a helicopter on the roof. Fiona Harper is a much-travelled member of our team. She's been all over the place if you followed her recently on Travel Riders Radio. Most recently, she's been in the Kimberley. And Fiona, if I remember correctly, this is one of the first places you took to boating. Uh, that's right, Graeme. Um, way back as an 18-year-old, I'm giving away my age here if I said it was around about um, 40 years ago. Oh, you don't have um, to dob yourself <laughs> in that hard. Well, uh, no shame in being nearly 60. But yeah, as an 18-year-old, I hitched a lift through uh, from Broome um, to Darwin and we sailed through the Kimberley for the first time. So it was quite incredible being back in that amazing landscape again. It is an amazing landscape. Unfortunately, though, I think 90% of Australians have never seen it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think that, I mean, a lot of people do the Kimberley by road. So the Gibb River Road is well known for, for people driving through the Kimberley. But to see it from the sea, I think, is the best way. It's, it's such a, a massive area. It's almost the size of Victoria, I think. So it's a huge area with hundreds or thousands of islands. So the best way to see it is definitely from a boat. Yeah, well, I've done the top bit, the Wyndham to Mitchell Falls, but you've, you're talking about the bit below that, right? Yeah, so we, uh, we left from Wyndham and for 10 days travelled south and ended up in Broome. So again, I mean, that's just a really small portion of it. There is so much to see in that area. Over 10 days, we got a, you know, a snippet, really, of, of what's available there. Did you go into the canyons with the with the boat? Yeah, we did. The most northern one we went to was the King George River, um, yep. which is a it has vertical cliffs, these beautiful sandstone rock formations that are anyone who's been to Federation Square in Melbourne, for example, and recognised the the, the tiling colours. on the floor there. Yeah, that's yeah. that comes from the from the Kimberley. So to see vertical sided cliffs that were a few hundred metres tall from the tender and to see waterfalls at the end of those of those cliffs so yeah it's quite spectacular it certainly is and i've always thought that it looks like it's been constructed because it looks like the sort of rough sandstone building blocks have been put together they don't necessarily sit straight do they well it's funny you say that because a few people in our tender actually commented that it looked like castles you know old ancient castles yeah Um, yeah it's fascinating it is indeed and of course this is crocodile country so you don't go swimming unless you are above some sort of a fall right yeah that's right saltwater crocodiles um inhabit all those waters so uh, we did get in the water quite a few times into freshwater swimming holes but you do need to basically go up a few levers a few levels of um of waterfalls to get to the fresh water where the crocodiles can't get to and did you see any sunbaking crocs? Oh, plenty. Well, um, <laughs> right. We um, we had a couple of close encounters. One day we were mud crabbing in a creek just off the Hunter River, um, yeah. and our task was to set the pots uh, with a, a fish frame. Uh, I think we had about seven pots in the water and set them one by one, and then we'd go and pick them up one by one. A couple of times we were almost wrestling. Wrestling sounds a bit dramatic, but there was crocs um, who were getting the bait before we could lift the pots uh, with the crabs. So it was definitely um, crustacean versus reptile. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. You yeah. were doing this out of a tinny. 
Yeah, out of a um, like a little six metre tinny. They're a um, bit tippy, aren't they? They were pretty stable. They're, they're flat bottom, so they're designed to go in those waters and to have yeah. you know six or eight people in them. Okay. It certainly was. You know, they were close. We had great crew who were you know well versed in in crocodile behaviour and and you know didn't put us in danger, obviously. But you know, quite thrilling to see a, a crocodile because they are so cunning. You see just their basically their their eyes out of the water and then they sink down below the surface and and leave no trace that they've actually been there. So you're always wondering. All right, well, I saw it there, now where is it? And sometimes, you know, it would pop up close to the boat, which would give us all a bit of a heart start. And I don't think the crew like to have the croc associate a boat with food. <laughs> no, that's right. Now, you were on True North, right? That's right, or True North 2, to give the boat its, its real name, which is, uh, yeah, so True North has two boats. Now, this yep. True North 2 is, has just started cruising this season. Right, and that's the smaller of the two boats, is it? That's right. This one's 35 metres. The True North, the big boat, is 50 metres. So on our boat, 22 passengers, um, capacity for 22. I think we had 18 passengers, 14 crew, so a really high crew to passenger ratio. Yeah, so there's yep. yeah, plenty of people to and attend you, to your every need. And say so you'll have a steward and a chef and an engineer and a skipper and all, yeah? Uh, yes, a couple of chefs, stewards, uh, we had a heli pilot. Both the True North boats have a helicopter, so there's a, a full-time helicopter pilot who flies, depending on where where we are, but you know, a couple of times a day there were scenic flights or there was heli picnic flights or you could fly up to a ridge to watch the sunset. We flew over Montgomery Reef, which is a really interesting, for, like a massive reef, 400 square kilometres, and then because the tides are so large up there, as the tide falls, you get these cascading waterfalls um, falling off the off the reef and creates these massive flows of water. So to see that from the air, you know, you can see turtles and manta rays and uh, dugongs and dolphins just all Sounds kind fantastic. of fishing now, around the, the low, low tide area. I know one of the reasons they have the choppers is to get you as guests to the art that's up there, the uh, the Aboriginal or Indigenous yes. art. Did yes. you do that? Yes, there was uh, rock art flights, although a lot of the art we could actually walk to. Um, so we would go up a creek and walk up a you know up into to cave areas, uh, yep. a couple of islands where we actually walked for a couple of hours and saw you know, many many different rock art sites. Um, yeah, it's amazing how these, uh, uh, and these have been dated. Some of them are like 30,000 years old. Is that what you were uh, told? Yeah, that's right. Uh, some are more recent. Um, th so there's the Wangina art and then the, the Guion Guion, or what used to be known as the Bradshaw, Bradshaw art. Bradshaw, yeah. Yeah, so they, some of those have been dated to, yeah, 30,000 years plus. But the others, they redo in honour of the ancestor, isn't it, that they repaint it? <laughs> That's right. The Wanginas uh, do get touched up. Um, mm. Not all of them, um, and also can only be touched up by you know people who have an affiliation with the with the area. So it's mm. it's not like you know going in with a paintbrush. It's, it's no, very no. Much it's it's quite. I found it quite a spiritual thing. Actually, I was lying under a rock ledge, and right above my head, only six inches above my head, mm -hmm. was. Um, a big Wangina head, and they look yes. like a, a halo around uh, That's right. a stick figure sort of thing. I started mm. to get the shivers because I thought, gee, uh, you know, 10,000 years ago maybe, someone lay right exactly where I am, and, uh, and they painted this image. Oh, absolutely. It was yeah. quite sort of, oh, you know. Well, there was a grave site there too, which we didn't photograph. We were asked not to. Yes. Um, and um, 
We're also asked not to shoot from the air such that it might identify uh, an art... Yeah, the locations. ...location, you know, yes. that maybe isn't widely known. I know some of them are pretty widely known, but it's very hard to get to the art if you're on the road, though, I believe. you. Um, yeah. You know, it's almost impossible. So a boat's often the only way to see this stuff. Well, that's right, yeah. And you mentioned about the spirituality of the places. A lot of the sites where the art is... Um, it was where people lived, so it was, you know, it was their living room, so they were pretty much decorating, you know, the areas where they lived, a bit like we would put art on the wall now. They would, you know, paint on the on the roof or the, you know, the walls of, of where they were living. So, yeah, it's very spiritual areas. And as you say, yeah, there is a lot of graves in the area as mm. well. So, mm. yeah. Some of the areas, I know we dropped in the chopper into something that uh, it looked... From the air to me, it looked a bit like it had been constructed, but it clearly hadn't. It clearly was a natural form, almost a circle of, of large boulders, mm-hmm. uh, Stonehenge-type scale, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, so we didn't we didn't photograph it because it would, it would have been... If you'd gone on Google Earth, I think you would have easily... Knowing where we'd flown from, I think yeah. you would have easily found it. I haven't tried to do that. Maybe I should just from my own curiosity one day, but... Um, it was terrific, and I love the way that they were able to paint out of the prevailing wind, which has preserved these paintings, you know, because yeah, they're not being yep. sandblasted. Yeah, that's right, and there's a lot of areas where there's something to do with it. I'm not a geologist by any stretch, but there is some kind of chemical reaction going on that is preserving the art as well, particularly the ones that are on a on an overhang that's been protected by, you know, water dripping down. So there is... Yeah, they are you know really well preserved. Considering you're looking at you know pieces of art that might be tens of thousands of years old. Yeah, I think they told us that there there was a little moss type thing that formed over the art, and when they took the moss off, they virtually had paint that hadn't been exposed to the elements for thousands of years, yep. and they were able to. To date that now I don't, I'm not sure whether they had to take a little bit of paint home with them to do that or I don't know but it's been well documented there's been academics crawling all over these areas for quite some time haven't they yeah that's right there's also things like um, mud wasp nests that have you know been Protective. built over the art yeah. uh, and so they're using those to date uh, date the art underneath as well because they can you know figure out when yeah. the you know, when the, the mud's been there and, and compared to, you know, areas that aren't covered by the um, the nest. So, yeah, yeah. really fascinating. So uh, was this uh, a better experience than when you drifted through there as a, as a wee teenager? <laughs> well, it was really nice not having to think about uh, navigation or mm. any of those pesky things that you do, yep. yeah, when you're on your own boat. So, yeah, oh, they yeah. looked after us really well. We actually went to, on our last night, it was a bit of a, a surprise change of plan uh, we went to cockatoo island which i had stopped at again 40 years ago had a huge party there there was a lot of yachties in the area and we had this massive party when it was still operating and the mine was still operating on cockatoo island so the old mining buildings uh, alan bond bought the island for a while and tried to start a, a resort and it's now kind of fallen into Disrepair. disrepair yeah but the swimming pool there's a caretaker there so there's a, an amazing where is pool. cockatoo island Fiona? Uh, so it's just north of Broome, so uh, you might be familiar with Coolan Island perhaps, which is still a BHP mine. See that? Is it, it's not a naval base, uh, no. is it? No, no, it's completely uninhabited, but you know, all, the, all the old mining infrastructure is still there. Okay. Um, Curradine is trying to 
perhaps um, reinstate the mine. But so the current owners use it as a bit of a holiday getaway, for example. Okay. Um, we were lucky enough to spend a, a day there, yeah, swimming in the pool, which was fabulous. Okay. Now I know these um, expedition uh, ships are not inexpensive. If somebody, say a couple, wanted to go on True North to do something like you'd done as an expedition type exercise, mm-hmm. what, mm. what would they expect to invest to do that? Um, so we did a 10-night cruise, and again, only 22 passengers on board, so the prices start from about 17000 per person um, right. for a 10-night cruise. So for a couple, yeah, you're looking at, you know, it, it's it's not a cheap experience for no. sure. Double um, income, no kids, eh? Exactly, yeah. Right. And most of the passengers <laughs> on board were a lot of retired yep. people who were, exactly you know... that's exactly what I had, yeah. Yeah, doing it as a bucket list, you know, one of those big trips that they wanted to do, you know, for many years. So, yeah, it was it was fabulous to be sharing um, such an experience with people who had, you know, longed to be there for, for a long time. Yeah, and I, I imagine the True North, you each, you would have had a cabin with ensuite in it, so you're not lining up for a bathroom down the end of the corridor or anything like that. It's pretty well catered, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. There is two cabins that don't have ensuite bathrooms, which was one of the ones that I had, which is mm. kind of down in the in the lower section of the boat. But Below otherwise... deck, as they say. <laughs> uh, yes, not say no more. Nothing right. more to say about below deck. Right. Um, but the, on the upper decks, yeah, the cabins are beautifully appointed. You know, they've got big windows, beautiful ensuite bathrooms, mm. um, service daily. The crew are fabulous, can't do enough to look after you. Well, I felt very lucky doing what I did. Uh, on a, I was actually on a 60-foot power cat which Mm -hmm. had uh, 14 passengers and I think about five crew six crew maybe Uh, and I felt incredibly lucky to have been able to do that and to photograph it and helicopters Mm. all a bit and I imagine you feel the same for your experience which is a more modern on a on a newer vessel so that's great yeah it's very much a privilege to be cruising through that area um, because it is so unpopulated uninhabited you know it's a real privilege to to see such a wild raw area um that hasn't been spoilt by infrastructure and you weren't getting phone calls from me saying where are you (laughs) well interestingly we did have great wi-fi on board there's a satellite system on board so we weren't totally isolated so it was nice nice to be in touch particularly uh when the matildas were getting into their (laughs) the end of their their games yeah well that's important you need to you need to be in touch when those things are on uh, Absolutely. I we was did, having um, the same issue in Port Douglas, <laughs> in, in a rainforest without a signal. Anyway. I, I think those, great. yeah, they did stop the nation for a while there, those materials. Good on them. Mm, Good on yeah. them. Well, Fiona, thanks very much for filling us in. I'm sure you've got a beautiful photograph to illustrate what you were doing up there, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to hearing about your next adventure. I believe you're going further north. I am heading up to Indonesia and then to Papua New Guinea next. Okay. So, yeah, got loads of new stories coming. That was Fiona Harper speaking with Graham Kemlow.